0: We are just in, in our penultimate well, theme of the whole armor of God. We've got one more to go next week. And it um, has been very interesting. I think what has been fascinating, and I just wanted to draw attention to that, is that it's been fantastic to run this theme with the young people and with the children and to have conversations about this. So it has been fantastic. Today we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. And I want to start reading again from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 17, uh, just to remind us a little bit of the whole armor. Uh, we, we stressed the importance that when we prayed for Sophia in the conversation with Jeff, that... Uh, Battle is not against the flesh, but it's against principalities and the forces. So, Paul is saying here, therefore, put on the full armor of gods, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your grounds, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth, buckled around your waists, with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert always keep on praying for all the saints so here we've got the whole armor the last thing that paul wants to remind us to be part of our ammunition is the sword of the spirit and paul explains it which is the words of god there were two types of Roman swords. There were the long ones, which were really uh, made for proper warfare and stuff. And there were the shor- shorter ones. I have learned this word yesterday, and I checked it with my wife. It's the Is it the dagger? I'm saying it right, yes. So it was the dagger. So basically, if you read the kind of... Um, commentaries and stuff, they're suggesting that the, the, the size of the sword was between 18 and 22 inch. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big one. And basically, it was part of the armor and was part of the armor in such a way that it was very easy, was hanging on a belt and was very easy for access. And p- part of this Roman ammunition thing was that this, this sword was used for two ways. It was used for uh, defensive ways, but also was used for offensive ways. And unlike the other kinds of swords, the large ones, which is a one-edged sword, this kind of dagger has got two edges. So it doesn't, it doesn't only do the cutting bit, but it does also the penetration bit. Now, we're not going to talk about this gruesome stuff today because I want for us to be thinking a little bit about the sword of God. But or sword of the spirit. When Paul speaks about the sword of the spirit here, he kind of talks about the word of the God, the word of God. And the word that he uses in Greek here is the word rema and which is basically is the revealed word of God. Rhema is the bit-sized nuggets of spiritual truth that God shares with his people in order to help us stand during our spiritual battles. So Paul is saying here, come on guys, put on the full armor of God and Rhema is there ready for you. Now, a very, very, Good example of this is, and we're going to look at this together, is this this practical coming of the word of God. And we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus this morning. If we open our Bibles at Matthew chapter four, we'll see how Jesus was able to use the Rhema, this word of God to actually do exactly what Paul is asking us to do in Ephesians chapter 6. So basically, Paul is saying, put on the full armor of God, so when that day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your grounds, and after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And... When we talk about the sword of the spirit, we're talking about this effectiveness that has got this defensive and offensive. But in order to be effective in using of the swords, there is a lot of training required. Do you want to hear a Navy story? We all got on the bus. This was the first day of calling. Got on the bus, trying now to take us to the base. And the first night on the base was horrible. We didn't know anybody. Friends that we knew were separated in different bases. And then the next day, of course, you were in the Navy. So the normal routine of a young person getting up, getting up at 10 o'clock was unacceptable. Getting up was 5 o'clock in the morning. And then you had to do six kilometers of running each morning. I used to be much fitter than this, I tell you. And then they put us in this classroom, and they started talking to us about the ammunition. And as we came out of the classroom, I've got very vivid um, memories of... We were all handed, can you believe it, a wooden gun... We had to practice with a wooden gun for at least, I think, two, three weeks before we could get the hang of the real gun or get the training for it. But we were introduced with it. So we had to have it part of our, well, uniform, but also when we're all called to be in our squares, we all had to have our wooden guns ready in our arms and, you know, there were different um, ways that we could use the guns. And if you, I mean, I don't know, you don't, you don't need to know this, but if, if you are wearing a gun, you cannot salute like this because there is a gun salute and stuff like that. So this was part of all the training. But we still had this stupid wooden gun. I couldn't get over the idea of saying, what are we having this gun for? I just wanted to, to draw the parallel here that's, actually for us in order to have the real gun we needed to have the training first with something much more simpler just to get the idea so when we're talking about the effectiveness of the sword the spirit the sword of the spirit we're talking about this training that is required in order for this rayma to be effective. In order that. When three months of training finishes. For this Albanian sailor. He'll know how to shoot. With a gun. On target. So here we've got. Jesus. He has just been baptized. If you look at Matthew chapter 4. And the most profound thing. On the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is where the voice of heaven comes and it says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then we've got the accuser coming on the scene So Jesus goes for 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, verse 2, he was hungry. The tempter, the accuser, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do you remember you know where the the accuser starts. He starts with the same phrase of the affirmation of God the Father. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the accuser says, if you are the son of God in whom your father is very well pleased, why don't you turn the stones into bread. Come on. When we talk about temptation, I think we have kind of sanitized the word a little bit because when we, in our conversations, daily conversations, we talk about temptations in terms of seduce. But actually, when you read in scriptures and you read about temptation... Actually, it's about testing. It's much more than being seduced to do something. It's being tested. It's being tested to do something. So here we've got the accuser saying, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. So Jesus has been called to come and do his father's work, has been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the eyes of the accuser, he has been looked at as if he has failed because actually God has been the one who is faithful. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are the same. You never change. And here we've got the devil who says, well, if that is true, is that true? Has Father God really said that he is your father and you're his son? Isn't this the same kind of scheme that he used with Eve? Has God truly said? Has he? So it's trying to bring Jesus to that place of doubting the all-sufficiency of God. Actually, that's what Adam and Eve failed for. That's what the people of Israel failed for. And now he's trying for the third strike with the very own Son of God. And Jesus says, by quoting scriptures, the man shall not leave by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, being hungry is a priority because I've not been eating for 40 days and 40 nights. But what overrules this priority is for me to accomplish whatever that affirmation was that I am God's son in whom he is well pleased. If we look at the second temptation... Let's read it. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against the stone. Is this true? Yeah, it is true. Psalm 91. But Jesus was the Son of God coming to do God's business here on earth in whom God was well pleased. So the devil, the Satan, not only wants to cause Jesus to doubt the all-sufficiency of God, but actually, he also wants for him to hurry, to hurry God in what God is doing with him come on, if you are really the son of God, throw yourself because something, else, something good will come out of this. After all, God is the almighty God and he will send his angels to get over and protect you. There is this rush in the devil's approach to Jesus. Jesus. And the other thing is worship. The third area was by taking Jesus to the top of a mountain. And he says, Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Do you see the irony that the devil uses? He shows the Creator all the corners of the world and the kingdoms of the world that He will possess them if He bows down and worships Him. And Jesus says, again, with that Rhema moment of saying, God, I'll worship only you, no matter what. Because that's what the Scripture says. So it's a very, very valid, very good example. And Paul is telling us that actually we take on this rhema of God. And we take it on and we use it. Because days are evil. The days are evil. Because actually our spiritual battle is not against one another, against flesh. But it's against principalities. So actually, the question that I've got for us this morning is, what do we do with the Word of God? What do we do with the Word of the Spirit? This, this theme is very passionate. I'm very passionate about it. It's very close to my heart. Um, three months ago, actually, I read a, uh, a quotation from John Piper saying that too many Christians are fighting graduate school sins with a primary school knowledge of God. I'll repeat it again. Too many Christians are fighting graduate school sins with a primary school knowledge of God. What do we do with the living word of God? I think we... I say this with very big pain in my heart. Because the reason why I'm passionate about this is that with everything that is going on in the world, especially on the Western world, we are made to believe that the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit... Is not the real sword of the Spirit which Hebrews four twelve describes. We're made to believe that it's just an air balloon and is not relevant for us, it's not applicable for us, and it doesn't have the same meaning for us. So I think that the significance of the God's word has been diluted. And yet we hear and we read in scriptures that this is the word of God. So there is a battle that we are going through. So what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we battle with this in such a way that actually the Bible comes back, God's word, the holy scriptures come back to the place where they belong. Because actually, if the Scriptures ask us to stand firm on God, if Ephesians 6 says, I don't want to misquote it, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, well, where else will we know this Lord? Unless we spend time with this. Unless we... Endorse it. And I think the approach is that perhaps we we spend very little time of it because perhaps we fall in the same categories that the temptation of Jesus fell through. Actually, one of the things that the devil tempted Jesus, the first thing was the misplaced priorities. And perhaps this misplaced priorities have have come to that place that actually we don't really take God anymore at his word. One of my most interesting experience when I went to Nepal, and maybe I shared this with you, when I went to Nepal two years ago, we went and visited people. One of the most thing that highlighted my whole trip in every single meeting or in every single encounter with with the Nepalese people it was very clear that they took God at his word and I think we are here because we've got other stuff That we can take at their word. Because our lives are secured by insurance policies, by good pension schemes, by things that actually give us the peace of mind. And yet, Paul is challenging us to take on the armor of God, the full armor, by which the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, is one part of the ammunition. Or perhaps the second area where Jesus was tempted was his pace of life. Putting God on a rush. And it seems that in England, everything seems to be on a rush, apart from people believing in God. It seems that the Western world is everything is running on the third lane, but when it comes to faith, are oh, there is plenty of time? Or perhaps it's the third area. It's our lifestyles. Jesus was tempted by the devil to worship him by being offered all the riches of the kingdom, the splendor of the kingdoms of the world. Anything in life that takes the central interest away from God is a God. That's why, that's why we need to spend time that's why we need to take on the words of God, the rhema. So when that day comes that we are faced with the enemy, that we've got that not only the right response, but we've got the right attitude. Two years ago, I had somebody who came to see me. And maybe I've shared this before. His knowledge of scripture was Fantastic. But after 15 minutes of talking to him he came across that he was a crook. There was no rhema there. It was just had knowledge. And that word had not come to that place of being life changing. A life, says Hebrews. The word of God is living. So what do we do with the Lord with the Word of the God, of God? How do we make good use of this sword of the Spirit? And actually, how would we be strong in the Lord unless we are founded in the Scriptures? Do we have misplaced priorities? Or do we go down the route of misinterpreting Scripture? Because it fits our personal setup. Actually, dealing with the scriptures is not an easy thing, it's hard. And I personally come to places where I wrestle with it. I wrestle with determination because actually, it contradicts my view. But have I got the guts to say that no matter what I think and how good my view is or may sound, scripture overrules it. And I learn to submit to it. There are a lot of ethical issues that we have to deal with. There are a lot of political issues that we have to deal with. There are a lot of church eschatological and ecclesiological Ecclesiological issues that we have to deal with. Which is the deciding factor? Is it my own opinion, or is it what the scriptures say about it? Ruth reminded us of a game earlier on. The sword, drill, well, dr- sword drill, and it's classified as old school. Actually, I want to challenge you as a church this morning to say, well, I want to, to reintroduce something else which is old school. How about if we set a target to say that for the next whatever weeks have, have got remaining in this year, we're going to memorize a scripture together. Or we're going to, to set a, a target that, you know, personally... I'm going to memorize a portion of Scripture for the next following weeks. I know that some of you do it very diligently here, and it's great. But it's, it's, it's getting back into that track of saying that actually, this is the Spirit's sword for me, and I want to make good use of it. How about if we bring Scripture and talk about the, God, the Word of God in our conversations, in our dinner table... And validated in saying that, listen, actually, it doesn't matter what academia thinks about it. What matters is that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired of God. Because I want, I'm very passionate, and I want for us as a body of believers to move back from having a diluted view. Of the scriptures. To going back. To that passion. That actually. If we want to know God. If we want to be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to be people of compassion. If we want to be people of courage. If we want to proclaim it. We have nowhere else. To find and resource all of this. Last week. We spoke about the spirit. This week. We're talking about the Word. And I would love for us as a church community to be people of the Spirit and the Word. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is very simple this morning. Help me to fall in love with your Scriptures again. Ignite that passion. For your word, which is the word of God, and again never turns unto you void. Rescue me and protect me. Rescue us and protect us from all the different ideas that are out there, Lord, that attack your words. Grant us wisdom and grace to love and to live and to submit to what your scripture says to us. Lord, my praise that this week we'll have that moment of rhema because we know that your word is alive. In Jesus' name, Amen.